either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our films. <laughs> it's so bad. One big family film and a decent amount of scary stuff for this weekend. So uh, we can dive in and see what we got for The Batch this week. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com, and we start out with the family film as Allison and Carlos decide to give their three kids a yes day, where for 24 hours, the kids make the rules. It is yes day. Have you heard about Yes Day? It's this new thing where parents say yes to everything their kids ask for for 24 hours. Radical! How am I just hearing about this? Well, Yes Days are like fun, and mom and dad are like fun killers. We are plenty fun. We used to say yes to everything. We can be fun again. Really? Let's do this! Arriba! Okay, this is brand new for Netflix, and if you have little ones, you might know that it's based on a best-selling kids' book. Not only a kids' book, but a very short picture book. Right, right. You say a kids' book, and it could be a chapter book. It could be your Charlotte's Web type. No, this isn't. It's a, it's a picture book. So you're talking about, like, maybe, what, 20 sentences? So that's a lot to fill out, to flesh out <laughs> for a roughly hour and 20-minute film. Uh, but it's very, very wholesome. Let's put it that way. It's Jennifer Garner and Edgar Ramirez, and they are the the parents who we get to know them early on, that they were free spirits, man. They were fun-loving. They were jumping out of airplanes. They were doing all a bunch of crazy stuff. And then parenthood hit, and now they've got three kids, and at least to their kids, they are just filled with nothing but no all the time. No, no, no. You know, it's a charming idea, and, and, and it's a charming book. Miguel Arteta is the director here, and he directed Jennifer Garner in another picture book adaptation a few years ago, Alexander the No Good, Awful, Rotten, Very Bad, Terrible Day, whatever it's called, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. It's a string of bad things and then the word day. And it was charming as well, but it worked better than this does. I think the first, I mean, the first problem is that there simply wasn't a script, right? I mean, they had to really just make up a bunch of stuff. And the, the second thing is that, you know, kids' books and kids' movies tend to focus on a protagonist who's a child, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's what keeps children interested. This The, the protagonists in this film are very definitely the parents, yeah. which is, suggests that it's a movie aimed at the parents, and I can't imagine very many parents sitting through it, and I can't imagine that many children caring what happens to the parents. Because by the end, they're the ones that learn the most. They have to get back to that fun-loving, those fun-loving people that they used to be. Now, the kids learn a little bit, too. They do. But uh, you're right. It seems like the biggest arc is with the parents. And I think the best way for parents to watch this is just coming in and out of the room. Yeah. Not really paying a lot of attention because the antics that get set up once the yes day starts are completely ridiculous <laughs> and contrived. So if you just popped in and looked at, oh, what's happening here, and didn't see the contrived setup to get there, you might laugh a little bit at it. And there's a couple of funny lines, but it's just so forced. And everything is so idyllic. I mean, they're, what, what these kids think is a bad home life is pretty privileged. Yeah. Oh, my God, yes. I do think that Garner and Ramirez keep things um, yeah, entertaining. They are. They're they're, they are. They're very charming. I really, really liked Edgar Ramirez in this movie. I like him in everything. Uh, it, the, the director is such a conundrum to me because he also makes movies like one of my favorites, Chuck and Buck. Oh, yeah. And he made um, Beatrice at Dinner a few a few years wow. ago. I know. And then he makes these, like, wacky yeah. family films. Yeah. and you. Uh, 
I can't quite nail him down, but... I'm really amazed that this is rated PG because it just seems so wholesome to me. Yeah, I agree with you. Incredibly wholesome. So it's one for the little ones, and if they want to get a kick out of, you know, seeing their, uh, the, the parents, the role models in this movie, you know, have to get dirty and get slimed and get foamed and everything else with these crazy antics, but it's just, it's so over the top and ridiculous. And uh, it is on Netflix streaming now called Yes Day. Next, we've got a college grad taking a clerical job working for the literary agent of the renowned reclusive writer J.D. Salinger. This is called My Salinger Year. So Salinger doesn't get any of his mail? Not one. You shred them. Did you send my letter to Mr. Salinger? Did you send my letter to Salinger? You can't read other people. You keep saying you want to write, but you work long hours for other writers. Dear boy from Winston-Salem. If you want to uphold the spirit of Holden, try not to care too much about how people judge you. Sincerely, Joanna Rakoff. You've become quite the expert in what Salinger would say. You've crossed the line. You have it in you to become a really fine agent. But you have other aspirations. I didn't want to be ordinary. I want to be extraordinary. Make a noise. This one is in theaters, and it is also streaming, and it stars the glorious Sigourney Weaver. Yes, yeah, Sigourney Weaver is the literary agent, and her her young, uh, new, not really an intern, new apprentice, I guess, is played by Margaret Qualley. And they are great together. And this one is also based on a book. It's based on a memoir uh, from Joanna Smith Rakoff, who actually did take this job in 1995, and she wrote a memoir about it. And the relationship between Joanna and Margaret, the agent, it almost has a little bit of that um, the devil wears Prada type of thing. Mm-hmm. Not, not too much. I mean, uh, Margaret, uh, Sigourney Weaver's character, is not that much of a devil. But she's, she runs a pretty tight ship. I mean, back in 1995, she doesn't want, she doesn't want computers anywhere in the office. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> she's got a lot of rules, especially a lot of rules for dealing with J.D. Salinger, or Jerry, as they call him. So, Joanna played by Margaret Qualley, has to learn these rules. And she is, of course, a frustrated writer. She wants to be a writer. But Margaret doesn't hire writers, so she has to keep that to herself and and keep her ambitions repressed, which is really the, the arc of this movie and her character. And that's what works the best about this movie, is her growth and her the way she um, navigates this job and learning to get close to J.D. Salinger a little bit and uh, and breaks some of these rules. In fact, the biggest one she breaks is she starts answering some of his fan mail. You know, he gets so many letters from people so affected by the Catcher in the Rye, of course, and she just she she just picks out some. She has to read every one and then shred them. She has to read them in case they they want to. They, they're afraid of a. They bring up Mark David Chapman, you know, murdering sure. John Lennon. They yeah. say any sign of a psycho, you know. But she's touched by some of them. And she thinks they deserve an answer and. She crosses the line by answering some, not as J.D. Salinger, as her as herself, but still. So that gets her in a little bit of hot water. But really the, the, the compelling aspect here is her not only navigating through this job, but deciding what she wants out of life. The boyfriend that she has, is she going to stick with him? Is she going to stick with this job? Because she starts doing well at it, and maybe she's on the track to becoming an actual literary agent. Or... Does she want to go back to being a writer? So that is more compelling. When the the movie sort of falters a little bit, and it's writer-director Philippe Fellardeau. I hope I pronounced that right. Nicely done. He tries to take on bigger 
themes, and they're understandable themes. They're the relationship between art and commerce, sure. and, and even these fanatical consumers, like the Catcher in the Rye certainly has, mm-hmm. still has today. Um, they're well-meaning, but it, it really, it's a, it's a hard tonal balance, especially when he brings in some fantastical elements, some scenes that are that are almost surreal in her in her life and her struggle to find where she's going. So it's it's perfectly entertaining. It really is, especially with these two performances and how they work together. Uh, and for anybody especially, and I, and I know you, uh, who like writing and mm-hmm. poetry and books, and maybe some of these classic writers are even still fascinated by uh, the life of J.D. Salinger, this would definitely be one to see. But it is. It is entertaining. Um, just suffers a little bit with some tonal balance, and it's in theaters now and streaming as well, and it's a My Salinger year. How about some sci-fi? Seven rogue soldiers launch a preemptive strike against a newly discovered alien civilization in the hopes of ending an interstellar war before it starts. It's cosmic sin. From the top. Four hours ago, the crew of the Vander made first contact. They believe we're hostile. In the event of first contact, humanity must strike first. To ensure the continued survival of our species. Operation Cosmic Sin is now a go. We're not going to wait for them to bring the fight to us. We're going to take it to them. What we do here is easy. The hard part is living with it. What was the one, it was just last week, Grillo and Mel Gibson. Yeah, that was boss level. A lot of fun. Yeah, that was a fun one. And this is is Bruce Willis and Grillo. You got got to put Grillo first. Right. So so then then, then it can be Grillis. Right. 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 Last week it was Gibson. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So now you got Grillo and Willis and Grillis. And the funny thing is, when you see one of these, you think, okay, well, Bruce Willis is probably going to sleepwalk through it for five minutes. He's actually got the bigger part here. He sleepwalked through it for at least 45 minutes. (laughs) There are a few scenes where he seems like he's almost having a good time, uh, which is better than the last one. He, he was with these, uh, these two writers in, for Breach last year, which was so awful. Uh, Edward Drake and Corey Large are the writers. Large actually has a, a role in this. He plays Bruce Willis' sidekick, and then Drake is the director this time out. So they're getting a little bit better, a little bit. But this one is still totally ridiculous. The plot is so convoluted and and forced and most of the acting a- away from even Willis and Grillo is is painful and and Grillo's character is one of those things like a lot of the themes that are brought up he just kind of comes in and then he just disappears for a while <laughs> I really thought that he was going to be the main guy he's really not but uh Willis is this blood general who uh, years ago had been kicked out of the military and stripped of his pension uh, because he pretty much committed genocide right. with this cue bomb, and all they did was take his pension and his rank. Right, exactly. Okay. And and then eventually let him back in. Well, so now they need him back because they think they have to eliminate this new alien life form after first contact uh, before, like the synopsis says, before the next uh, war starts. So there are threads here that are worthwhile. They do bring up things like, you know, the ambiguities of war and and sacrifice and and genocide and things like this. Like, okay, are we going there? And in the end, they are just abandoned, just like Frank uh, Grillo's character. I'm like, okay, those are all gone. They brought them up, and you think, oh, you might have something to say. And no, you really don't. It just turns into grandstanding by the end. And 
it's clear that they spent the budget on Grillo and Willis and even Costa. You got a side of Costas Mandalore. That's right. There's a Costas Mandalore sighting. <laughs> so after that, there's not a lot of money for effects. I will say um, they do manage some decent looking, actually pretty slick looking, deep space panoramas. And then they're totally ruined by this Saturday morning type effects of these people flying through the space in their suits <laughs> and, and then pew pewing when it's time to have a pew, pew. <laughs> when it's time to have a battle. Like, wow. Uh, so it, it's it's really it's a meandering mess. Well, and uh, then when they're on the surface of the planet, it just oh, looks like Wyman Woods the, by our house. That's I mean, the other and thing. it's what is it supposed to be like twenty five forty one or something? It is. It's supposed to be like five hundred years from now, and it looks like next Tuesday. And <laughs> except for they have a robot bartender, so that's what we can look forward to. Okay. In five hundred years, we get robot bartenders. But then you're right; they land on an alien planet, and it's still next Tuesday. It's just you're in Michigan. And, <laughs> It's it's this movie is a meandering mess, but the filmmakers Drake and Large they are getting better. So we'll end <laughs> on a high note, and I still like Bruce Willis and Frank Grillo. So give me more Grillis. And that's, all all boys like Grillo, don't they? I think so. I think so. Girls don't. I, I think we're I think we're fine with him, but I mean, I, I, guys, I like. Every guy I and m- most people don't even know who he is. That's true. <laughs> you know, but but who Grillo? I'm like, I think, really? Well, they know his face. They oh know yeah, his face. you have to know and his I, face. I, I think that boss level may start changing that. It, because, it was nice for him to have a lead. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, instead of instead of this one, go back and check out boss level. Right. But this is cosmic sin. How about a teenage runaway taking part in a sleep study that becomes a nightmarish descent into the depths of her mind and a frightening examination of the power of dreams? I'm in. This is come true. I don't want to do this anymore. Now we wait. We'll either be hailed or crucified based on our treatment of this breakthrough. What's happening? This is exactly what he's been waiting for. Run! Don't you ever feel like you're seeing something that you're not supposed to? Wake up. Boy, this one really had me for quite a while. Early on, it is a Canadian film, and early on it conjures the master of Canadian horror. It's got some Cronenberg all over the place. You've got this, you know, this, it's like a medical facility. It's not a hospital, really, but it's a medical facility, and they're doing something, and uh, they're wearing lab coats, but the technology seems weirdly analog. It seems like you should be, you know, playing Pong on it. It's like, what am I even looking at? And there's a buzz and a hum, you know, that's very fun. And then the next thing that happens is, so this, this girl... Uh, she's a runaway and she signs up to be part of a sleep study basically because it gives her some place to sleep for the next two months. <laughs> okay. Right? That makes Smart. good sense. Yep. yep. Um, and, but when you see her nightmares, it's very impressively yeah. filmed. It's yeah. a very meandering, wandering sort of corridors and it's dark enough that you can make out these some things and they're clearly bodies maybe you know, it's like it's they're hanging at these strange angles you it's so disturbing and those things are hard to do well this came up last week with chaos walking when remember the characters thoughts yeah. were so they were brought to the surface and they were not only heard but seen and to manifest that on screen any types of those subconscious things that's hard to do it is and when you do it effectively like here it even it even uh adds to the the resonant nature of it for you like oh that really looks like a nightmare yeah yeah and then it leads eventually to in the sleep study is is this how many of them have in their dreams 
this sort of dark figure with eyes, which is, this is at this point, they kind of abandon Cronenberg, because Cronenberg, you're expecting some a bloody mess. Oh, yes. Not at all. There, I don't. There's very little blood in this movie at all. It, it kind of then pivots to... Like Rodney Asher's The Nightmare, the um, that spectral sort uh-huh. of dark sleep paralysis. Type yes. Thing. Yeah. Oh, so creepy. So even then, I'm like, okay, I like where you're going. I like where you're going with this. But then it's as if they don't know what to do with it. You know, the third, actually, the second half of the film, not even just a third act. It's so slow. It's so painfully slow, and what it leads to is such. A cheat of an mm. ending that as much as I really liked the film, I did. I enjoyed so much of it. I thought the world building was great. I thought the performances were very good. Yeah, which Julia Sarah Stone oh, is great. the lead. Yeah, yeah she's great. And she's very ri- sort of elfin. And the writer director is Anthony Scott Burns. And and while I I love the work they did for so much of the film. The ending was such a cheat that I'm actually more irritated by this movie than even <laughs> Cosmic Sin. Because you knew five minutes you in that movie had, was garbage. Right. You thought you had something here. Right. Yeah. I love it when they are able to do something like that. To make, take a nightmare and really make it look nightmarish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, they had it going here. And this is come true. It's available, uh, it's available on Prime. And it's a bargain rental. The next one takes us to Basque Country, 1609. The men of the region are at sea, and Anna takes part for the first time in the nightly dances in the woods with the other village girls. At dawn, they are all arrested. This is Coven, or Coven of Sisters. Who are found guilty of participating in the Sabbath shall be burnt at the stake. Are you prepared to celebrate the Sabbath for us? And of course I will. What if this Sabbath wasn't to exist? What if it was just a dream? If the Sabbath is only a dream, then we must all be dreaming the same dream. This is on Netflix, and this is the best movie I saw this week. Nice. Um, it's It's so good. And, you know... I, I love witch movies. Mm-hmm. I like, you know, I'm cool with it. I enjoy it. But the the witch persecution movies, yeah. they can weigh on you. Sure. You know, I mean, Become almost torture porny. Exactly. Too often, the filmmaker seems to be really just relishing in the torture of women as opposed to mm-hmm. telling a good story. Um, and this is not that. I'm so impressed by the the direction it took as it stayed with this group of girls, of neighborhood girls, and the way that they try to sort of extend their time on Earth. As they know, they are doomed. They're not going to get out of this. And so they plot, they have a very clever way of trying to just keep the trial going long enough that their fathers come home from sea. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you think to yourself as you're watching it, I don't know that that's going to save them. Could that really save them? But then, you know, you think maybe. It's very clever. It's not like anything I've seen, and I've seen a lot of these movies. The lead performance by Amaya Abrastori was just spectacular, but all of the girls are so good, and they're so good together. And I just, you know, again, it just was not... It didn't feel exploitative. Well, rarely, very rarely felt exploitative. It felt sort of poetic, and um, and it was just a great movie. And this is co-writer and director Pablo Aguero, and it is streaming now. Very impressive. Coven, well, you can find it either as Coven of Sisters, or you might find it as Coven. And we saw it on Netflix. Netflix, so it's worth checking out. Hey, let's lighten the mood with some music. This is a musical comedy drama about three struggling singer-songwriters whose chance meeting rekindles each of their fading dreams of making it in the music business. It's The Independence. I was waiting, I was waiting. 
Guys like us, we don't stop making music. You do what you gotta do so you can keep making music. Fuck, people from the label wanna meet you guys. What do you say you do a showcase in LA? I can't do it. I got classes, dissertation. Are you quitting on us? I've been down the same road. I got a real job. Pays the bills, benefits. Wait, your tree job pays benefits? No, no. I got fired from the job that I'm talking about. The point is, you don't stop the music. You do what you gotta do so you can keep making music. Weekends, nights, whatever. Well, what's the name of your band, anyway? Well, we've been using the name RGB. R&B? RGB. Rich Greg Bryant. All right. Yeah, great. We'll work on that. This is a charmer, isn't it? It is a charmer, and it's one that has been years in the making because these guys, when they get together, and fate kind of brings them together, and they and they all sound good. They're musicians, and they say, hey, why don't we form a, a folk band and go off and play this festival and just drop our lives and go do it? Well, they do sound very, very good together, and there's a reason for that. It's because they are a real band. Uh, they're, called, <laughs> they're called The Sweet Remains, and this movie took so long to film because they had to shoot around the band's touring schedule. Uh, but they got it done now, and it is. It's good-natured, and it's, it's fun, and the music is good, as you think it, it would be. And uh, it's written and directed by one of the band members, Greg Naughton. Now, he is he's the nephew of David Naughton. Remember from American Werewolf in London? I do know. I'm, I'm a pepper. Yeah, and that, he had a TV show. Uh, My sister Sam. Right, exactly. And then his father, you would know his face. Um, he is actually in this. He has a, a, a small part, James Naughton. He's a Tony. I think he won the Tony for originating the Richard Gere part of Chicago on Broadway. Oh. Uh, so he, he's got had a long career. You'd know his face. He's been in a million things. Anyway, uh, so you get these three guys together. They're in a real band. They're playing a fake band. And once they get together... What's nice about this movie is you think, oh, it's going to go straight to the top, or we're going to take over the music business. No, not really. They, right. they, they don't. And they throw in, uh, Naughton throws in a lot of clever, yes, sometimes contrived bumps in the road. Richard Kind comes along and plays this fast-talking uh, executive, uh, talent scout kind of a guy who sees him in a bar, and I'm going to bring you to L.A. for a showcase. And then you think, that, oh, they're going to be in the big time. Well, maybe not. So it's just, it is. It's very charming. Uh, about following, not only following crazy dreams, but just doing something because you love it. Like, these guys all just love making music, and they're very good at it, and they sound good, and they play their instruments well, and they just, that's where they get their joy, and, mm-hmm. they, and, that's, and that's why they follow when they get together with other people who are like them. They want to be together and, and, and follow that and see where it leads. So it's one where you're going to say, wow, the first time they're playing this song, it really sounds polished. <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> Just go with it. And uh, I think you'll really have a, a good time with the independence. And uh, this is another bargain rental out on Prime right now. Next, we have a modern adaptation of the classic Greek tragedy, which falls within a social realism. To the law of men, the young Antigone opposes her own sets of values. This is Antigone. <laughs> This is just a profoundly impressive film. You know, and I can't say that I was particularly looking forward to seeing it, to be honest with you. Yeah. I thought, oh, it's an adaptation of a Greek tragedy. But it's, it's searingly relevant as it looks at an asylum-seeking family from Algeria now living in Quebec 
and what a family like that faces in an attempt to be successful and to transition. And Antigone is a high school senior and she does very well in school and her brother is arrested. So the film follows her scheme to sort of bring honor back to the family. So Mm -hmm. in that way, it parallels the original tragedy. But Nahima Ricci, who plays Antigone, is just a force of nature. She's incredibly good. She's mesmerizing. And the whole film around her is very smart. There are some scenes that are just, that'll make you weep. There are other scenes that'll just make you shake your fist. It's a really powerful and really well-told film. But... Uh, among, I mean, uh, among its greatest, greatest jewels is this is this lead performance. I cannot wait to see what this girl does well, again. I'm always interested when these sorts of classics are updated in in a modern setting mm-hmm. because again, that's not always easy to do e- uh, either to make it like you say searingly relevant to today's issues and which they're able to do here. Of course, the original was by Sophocles, and the the writer and director here adapting it is Sophie Derespe. She plays a little bit loose with not not only the storyline, obviously, but also the characters and and how the characters develop and sort of the role they take in the new tragedy, although she keeps all of their names, which I think is kind of fascinating. Yeah, yeah, I like that. But keep in mind that it is a tragedy. And if you haven't read it, you'll just know that it's it's tragic. (laughs) (laughs) That is uh, that is streaming now called Antigone. Well, it's almost St. Patrick's Day, so let's get our Irish up. A fateful exchange on a flight has consequences for Daniel Murphy. He's left in charge of a corpse of someone he never knew, and he's persuaded to take on the challenge of getting a coffin from his family home in Clonakilty to Rathlin Island. It's the last rite. I have very sad news. I don't know the guy. Why would he have you down as his next of kin if you weren't? They sent him here for you. And they cannot send them back? He's no budget for that. The 21st is his brother's funeral. Get him here to me for then. Are you sure you can't postpone it just a few days? In a word, no. I'm not driving to Northern Ireland. I want to go to Rothland. You want to go all the way across the country there? The only way to tell if someone is your real friend is to spend lots of hours in a row with them. Do you like living in... I have a girlfriend. Well done. Whatever impulse made you come here today, cherish it. Because... That is love. This is from writer-director Aoife Crean, and It's it, Irish. It is Irish. <laughs> uh, uh, although the funny thing is that the lead, uh, Michael Hewson, is, he's not Irish. Uh, he plays an American or an Irishman or an Irishman who moved to American. He's, in fact, Dutch, and I cannot figure out what the accent was he was trying to go for because <laughs> it's not Boston either, which is where he's supposed to be from. Although and, everybody's wearing a Boston Red Sox hat or a shirt in this thing. That's it's, true. Yeah, try to get their uh, their Irish creds, I guess. But uh, we talked a little bit about the contrived nature of the independence. This has some contrivance in it, too. Oh, this one will choke you with contrivance. <laughs> and it's so funny because I, I want to give the writer-director and the cast credit. They almost make it work. They come very close to making it work. But So he's on a plane. He's going back to Ireland because his mother has passed. And the old man next to him also going back to Ireland with the remains of his brother, who needs to be buried uh, in Northern Ireland. And uh, they land in County Cork. And the guy dies, and he, he he's, his passport says that Daniel is his next of kin. So, <laughs> so the brothers both remains. They go they go to Northern Ireland, but the dead man, right? He just he Daniel is stuck with him, and then 
so finally he just decides fine i'm going to i'm going to drive these so that they can be buried together it's a very very long trip from the south of ireland all the way to northern ireland he's going to have his brother in tow and a woman from the funeral home who just needs to take a ride with them and she's not going to say why and then the police call oh you actually can't transport the body if you're not really the, the next of kin but the brother <laughs> has autism and he doesn't want to hear it and so they go anyway yeah there are so many so many muddled, ridiculous contrivances, all so that Daniel can learn that he really wants to live in Ireland with his brother. It's ridiculous. And don't forget, there's a love story. There's a side love story. There, in there is. So I did almost be. forgot. Yeah, you did. I yeah. did almost and forget. And Brian Cox is in it. Brian Cox. So, yeah. So there's Cole a Cole Meany. There's actually, yeah. there's a ton of great veteran actors with small parts in this. I love Brian Cox. Yep. And one of the things that I need to point out, as much as I love Samuel Bottomley from Get Duked, if you have not seen the film Get Duped, you must give yourself that gift. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's hilarious. It's incredibly enjoyable. And by the way, it's Get Duped with an exclamation Indeed. point at the end. <laughs> so Samuel Bottomley is the lead in Get Duped, and he is the younger brother uh, who is on the spectrum in this film. And the actor is not, of mm-hmm. course, on the spectrum. And right. so there's always some, you just kind of wince a little bit about it. I think he does a solid job. I think it doesn't feel caricatured at all. He, You know, there's depth to the character. But still, you just kind of wonder. And then there are some sort of ham-fisted Rain Man jokes that are made, and you just think to yourself, now, would you have been comfortable making that joke if, in fact, the actor was on the spectrum? Probably not. So it's just hard to say because you yeah. go, okay, well, maybe this this character would have said something that dunderheaded. I don't know. It's hard to get past. And yeah, there are so many touchy. other obstacles yeah. in this film that it, it just really seems like a, a, a big a big one. But if you're looking for something Irish for St. Patrick's Day, <laughs> this was in virtual cinemas. Is, is that the only place to see it right now? It is right now, yep. Okay, and that is the last rite. And we'll wind it up on Shudder, a group of ex-cons turned movers are convinced by their creepy client to pull an all-nighter. As the night progresses, they uncover the horrors that exist inside his old Victorian mansion. This is stay out of the effing attic. It is imperative that the move happen tonight. The basement and the attic are not your concern. This shit is creepy. Yo, boss, come here, man. What'd you find? Holocaust experiments. Much more professional. So we have said Shudder has been on a nice roll with mm-hmm. its premieres, and we can look forward to next week where they have the great film Coco di Coco da premiering, oh, yeah. as well as Slacks, which I'm very oh, excited for. Okay, well, this is a, a step down. It is. In between. So some good weeks, and uh, hopefully a good week next week. Yeah, this one is just, it was really surprisingly bad. Uh, first of all, we start with the title. Uh, stay out of the attic, but it's stay out of the F dot dot King attic. So that, to me, anyway, suggests maybe a, a fun tone. Maybe yeah, a, a little tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. this kind mm-hmm. of tone. No. Nowhere <laughs> to be found. Uh, this is just what the synopsis says. You've got these three movers uh, that are trying to get this job done. And it's a creepy old mansion. I mean, those are creepy. You, know, you get big old houses. They're musty. There's a bunch of dark corners. All right, there's potential there. Sure. Right? And this old man, yeah, offers them a bunch of money. And, of course, they need the money. They're all ex-cons. And this old man, played by Michael Flynn, Byrne is his character, he offers them a boatload of money. Get this all done in one, just in tonight. And you can earn all this extra money. Just two rules. Stay out of the basement. Stay out of the attic. 
I bet they don't do that. <laughs> and uh, some nasty things are in both of those places, and some nasty things happen. And this one closes in on some body horror. We were talking about Cronenberg yep, yep. earlier. It leans on some body horror, and it leans on some uh, cheap jump scares, and, and also some really stilted dialogue and some just really overly heavy-handed dramatics and weak performances leading up to, and, and there's some practical effects. Okay, I'll give them that. Practical effects, I like it. Right. Only there's one creature that's halfway decent. The rest of them, pretty pretty weak. And it leads to this big reveal that is just just utterly ridiculous. Ludicrous. It, it just it really is. I'm like, are you serious? That's what we're doing now. <laughs> so uh, we're looking forward to <laughs> we're looking forward to next week then on Shutter. This was they have been. We've been saying it for a while now. They've been on a roll. This one not so much, but it's on Shutter this week. Stay out of the effing attic. And with that, let's head to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby, checking in with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer. He's always got the lowdown on what's happening with the releases, the schedule, the calendar. So what's new this week? A whole lot of horror movies. Nice. <laughs> right? Sony is releasing their Sam Raimi-produced horror film, The Unholy, in theaters on April 2nd. That one's based on the novel Shrine by British horror author James Herbert. Ooh. Uh, he was a contemporary of Stephen King and Dean Koontz, but didn't have nearly as many adaptations. I'd say the most notable ones were probably the killer rat movie, Deadly Eyes, and then the uh, saccharine dog reincarnation movie, Fluke. So... <laughs> Yeah. We'll have to see how that one turns out. <laughs> okay. Shudder is putting out The Power on their service on April 8th. And then Christopher Smith's latest horror opus, The Banishing, is hitting Shudder on April 15th. Smith is another person who doesn't get nearly enough attention. Um, his probably most notable previous films are Creep, Severance, Triangle, and Black Death. Love Severance. I'm sure you're familiar with those. Oh, yeah. We've got the Irish vampire movie Boys from County Hell hitting Shudder on April 22nd. And switching gears for a bit, we've got a new Guy Ritchie heist movie with Jason Statham from MGM that's titled Wrath of Man, and it's set for theatrical release on April 23rd. Netflix is releasing their horror thriller Things Heard and Seen on April 30th. And then finally, Netflix will release Alexander Aja's latest thriller Oxygen on May 12th. Ooh, that is a nice bunch of a horror to look forward to. Right. All right, we we'll look forward to all of those. You can find a Daniel anytime at The Schlocketeer to keep up with all the comings and goings and reschedulings and a new horror flicks. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, looking at next week. Oh, we got a big one. Not only a big one, but a, a lengthy one. Four that, that you'll be covering. Four hours of the Snyder Cut. Mama like a sleepy. <laughs> it's coming next week. Also something called The Tangle. City of Lies, which is the uh, notorious B.I.G. Oh, film, that's uh, finally out. Now, is that a documentary? No, a it's a no, oh. it's a narrative film. Okay, all right, we'll see that. Uh, the Courier, Martha, with, mm-hmm. and Coco D, Coco Da, and Slacks. See, we got a few more of those one-word titles. We can just yell at each other. With. Martha, <laughs> with though, that's ah. Yeah. I, I feel like you're never going to be able to find it when you search it. Exactly right, but we'll find out what it's about. And we'll talk about it. So until then, let us know what you thought about anything uh, this week. If you loved Yes Day, if you love Cosmic Sin, all right, let's argue. Uh, you can keep the conversation <laughs> going anytime. But Grillus, thumbs up on Grillus. <laughs> uh, you can find us on uh, Twitter. That's at Mad Wolf. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website, we can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie only podcast called Fright Club. 
That's always there at madwolf.com. So we always love to you for you to keep in touch. Do that if you can. Until next week, she is Hope Mad. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>